today on Ag News Daily. This is a future. This isn't, we want live shows to happen. We want live sales to happen. Any agriculturalist, you know, we want to be there and see things in person, but we at least have an outlet now. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Ms. Ashton. Ashton, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. That is wonderful. And of course, we also have on the podcast today, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. How are you, Mike? Oh, not too bad at all. I tell you what, I am uh, driving back across Iowa and Illinois today. And now that we've actually got some growth happening on this crop from last week to this week, of course, we have seen some, uh, well, some several 90 degree days, definitely upper 80s with a lot of sunshine. I am absolutely floored at the amount of growth that the corn crop has, has undergone along Interstate 80. It has been phenomenal. Crops were you know, geez, maybe six inches last week. Now we've got uh, we got crops, you know, solidly 12 inches high as I'm doing my interstate tour. However, I'm also seeing lots of drownouts and areas that will most likely need to be replanted as mm-hmm. we go through uh, the rest of this next week, I suppose. Yeah, I've already seen a couple people actually replanting. Yeah, no, it's definitely that time of year. And given all the crazy rains we've seen, it's probably not at all surprising. No, I think not. But in other agronomic-related news, we've got some big news here, actually. Looking at dicamba, we saw the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit issued a decision on Wednesday vacating the registration of three dicamba herbicides, Extendamax, Ingenia, and Fexapan. This, however, does not appear to include Syngenta's Tavium dicamba herbicide, but uh, what great timing, and I'm being sarcastic here, that they would make this ruling in, you know, the midst kind of of planting slash summer season. And so the EPA has said they're going to figure out what to do. They're reviewing the court's decision and will probably promptly make a decision on how to address the court's dir- directive because as we know so many farmers and about 60 million acres is what they estimate this year for dicamba tolerant cotton and soybeans were slated to be planted and so those 60 million acres are now going to have this tool removed unless we see EPA or somebody else try to step in and figure out how to get this decision uh, unvacated. That's not really a word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, overturned. And it's overturned. Thank to you. Watch, watch this case. And I think we will definitely have to reach out to our friends in the legal community and listeners. If you are a lawyer or you know of a good ag lawyer who understands these issues better than we do, uh, drop us a note. Uh, this is a big deal. And uh, I think we'd love to have a better understanding of what the various phraseology means when it comes to legal documents. Um, check us out on the web. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily. Uh, drop us any tips you've got. Because what struck me is I was reading through the ruling, and again, I'm a layman. The three-judge panel that made this ruling said that EPA, quote, substantially understated the risks related to dicamba. And so I wonder if that means these companies can just make a you know, additions to their labels to be compliant. I, I don't know. It's definitely a, a striking legal move, and I'm sure we'll be feeling the effects of this legal battle all summer long. Yeah, I'm certainly sure we will. Ashton, what other headlines are you watching today? 
You know, actually, I wanted to talk about dicamba as well. So I'm glad that you brought it up. But I saw some talk on Twitter of farmers who've already planted thousands of acres of dicamba cotton, and some have been using dicamba for 30 years, while others are also kind of in favor, I guess, of this ruling against dicamba. So there's a couple of different theories and voices on the the ruling. And so I'm just kind of anxious, I guess, to see what this means for those who've already planted and used dicamba. But that, that was what I wanted to talk about today. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's one of those questions. I imagine if you've already planted or if you've already used dicamba as a burn down, you're probably fine. And now that we're getting so late in the summer, so many states have put increased restrictions on in-season spraying. It might not be much of an issue for uh, for a lot of the you know, dicamba tolerant soybean traits, but that's uh, it's bizarre. I, I wish I had uh, more time to understand it. But like I say, if you are a lawyer or somebody who works with this on a day-to-day basis, drop us a note. We'd love to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to chat with you. In other legal matters, we also saw some big news come out yesterday looking at a federal grand jury in Colorado. They've indicted four men for their role in a five-year conspiracy to fix prices and rig bids for broiler chickens. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, they had a press release that said the indictments are the first stemming from an ongoing investigation that they're doing right now, specifically looking at price fixing and rigging in the broiler industry, broiler chicken industry, I should say. Um, I believe the indictment is four different men, one of them being the president and CEO of the poultry company Pilgrims. Another one, let's see here, is the Georgia-based Claxton Poultry Farms. So a couple of big names are a part of this indictment. Yeah, that is for sure. And uh, that company there, that's Pilgrim's Pride. It was their CEO, CEO that was uh, that was indicted. You know, again, this is not the first time the poultry industry has found themselves in hot water over price fixing. And I think a lot of folks watching this are seeing perhaps maybe some clues as to what the Department of Justice might look at as they begin to ramp up their investigations on the cattle industry, Mm -hmm. which, of course, we have talked a lot about on the podcast and is definitely uh, uh, an issue that a lot of cattle producers are keeping an eye on. Yeah, that's true. It could be used as a model or maybe, I don't know, if they do something on both sides. Yeah. I, I, what do you mean, Delaney, on both sides? Well, I just mean, like, are they going to do the same thing on both sides? Are they going to use one model to try on the other industry? Like, in this instance, I suppose it would be, are they going to copy what they're doing in the poultry industry and do that in the beef industry? You know, I think what they're probably going to do is is look through the interconnections that these executives had and then say, OK, these guys were getting together at conferences and, you know, on emails and and some of the, the emails and the comments they found in regard to this uh, poultry, this broiler uh, case are kind of inflammatory. So I imagine they're going to look at the same types of things for the cattle industry to see if there were places that executives could have colluded during their search. But, you know, again, this is all up in the air and that uh, that investigation is just starting to get underway in the cattle industry. Got it. You know, I tell you what, it is a very, very slow news day outside of those two stories. 
Uh, USDA export sales were reported earlier today. This is for the week ending May 28th. Looking at corn, net sales were at 637,000 metric tons. That is up almost 50% from a week ago, but it is still down from last year, the same period last year. So that's something that uh, you know, definitely wasn't bearish. The trade was looking at that fairly in line with expectations. Looking at the soybean numbers, sales were at 495,000 metric tons. Another big mover for the soybean market is we got word overnight that China secured between one and three additional cargoes. So realistically, this means that China has probably bought this week up to eight boatloads of beans from the United States. The very same week, they said they are done buying beans from the United States. I think really the trade has called China's bluff. And the thought is, well, they need the beans. They're going to keep buying them from us. The one market that is really watching for Chinese lack of purchases remains the pork market. And pork exports were solid this week. We had 17,000 metric tons um, down from last week. You know, not terribly surprising. We did see that China was a player. They purchased 3,400 metric tons. So they haven't stopped as of yet, although we don't really know, you know, how long ago they entered into agreements to decide to purchase this pork. So we'll continue to watch this going forward. All right. Well, since you're talking about some market implications, do you want to chat markets now? I certainly do. And we've got a broadly positive day when we're looking at the agricultural commodities. Um, as I mentioned, the weaker dollar that we've been seeing throughout this week has continued to pull commodity prices higher. In addition, that export news, you know, certainly not bearish. Looking at the grains, we've got green all down the screen. July old crop corn up a nickel at 329 even. December contract up four and a half, closed at 342 and three quarters. Soybeans, whoo, July contract up 10 and a quarter cents on the day at 867 and three quarters. November up 10 and a half, closed at 876 and three quarters. Really moving through some technical resistance on the soybean market. Probably going to see increased buying through tomorrow. Very similar story in wheat. This was a market that, geez, just on Monday, we were talking about how it was struggling along, slogging along. Caught fire these last two days. July wheat up 11 and three quarter cents. That's in the Chicago contract, closed at 523 and three quarters. December contract up 10 and three quarters to close at 536 and three quarters. Looking over at the world of livestock again, we've got green almost all the way down the screen. In cattle, the August live cattle contract was up 57 and a half cents, closed at 97.92 half. October up 90 cents to finish at 187 half. Feeder cattle also stronger on the day. The August front month contract up 50 cents at 134.72 and a half. September up 72.50 to close at 136.50. Lean hogs front month June was down on the day, but that is a very thinly traded contract. Of course, we are in delivery. Looking at the July contract, however, we were up 10 cents at 53.57 half. The August up 87 and a half cents, closed today at 55.77 and a half. And of course, the dairy market, holy cow, that rally we talked about on Monday with Naomi Bloom has continued unabated. June milk class three contracts up 40 cents at 20.23. We haven't seen a $20 handle in milk in, oh geez, quite a long time. The July contract up 32 cents to close at $19 even. That's what we're talking about in the markets. Of course, I'm watching these markets on the internet, which is how some people are watching and participating in livestock shows. We're going to talk about how they're doing that on today's interview.
Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. Most are only concerned with checking the chemical composition of engine coolant as the cold weather approaches, but not the pending hot days of summer. Engine coolant is a mixture of glycols, additives, along with deionized and distilled water. Engine operation during high ambient temperature is when the coolant degrades the most, since the necessary additive package becomes consumed at a higher rate. Once the additives become negated, the engine in your farm machinery becomes susceptible to cylinder liner cavitation erosion, electrolysis, and to a lesser degree, corrosion. In addition, gaskets and seals that interface with the coolant are compromised. Make sure you check the level of additives with a test strip and treat as required before you head to the field. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. Today on the podcast, we have Lindsay Pullen, who is a business coordinator with Walton Webcasting. Lindsay, thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to us about Walton and all the things that have been going on with broadcasting these days. Oh, no problem. I really appreciate you having me. So, Lindsay, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on what you do in the agriculture industry and what you do more specifically at Walton? Yeah. Um, so me personally, I grew up on a um, commercial hog farm and that grew into a boar stud show pig operation with Schaefer's Gold Rush is my family's farm um, where we run quite a few sows and um, have a AI boar stud. And that's kind of my major passion. And right when my husband and I got married. We had Walton Webcasting um, film, actually, our wedding. And my husband just kind of off the cuff was like, hey, you guys ever uh, done a hog show here? You know, ever webcast a hog show? And uh, Walton Webcasting originally was a sports uh, broadcasting company and um, kind of did one little hog show there. And we had 600 viewers and thought that was incredibly amazing. And we just started growing little by little. And here we are seven years later, um, running virtual shows. <laughs> so um, my main job with Walton Webcasting um, at the current moment is running the pre-production of the cyber shows when things aren't so crazy. Um, I run a lot of the um, behind the scenes um, billing books and then um, run a lot of the other events that we might do like some online judging contest and some other classes and things like that. I'm a, more of a brain operator and then we hand that over to our sales team and they make it actually happen. <laughs> Very neat. I think uh, we can all appreciate what you're doing since we're in some different times right now with COVID-19. Lindsay, I'm sure your business has changed quite a bit because when I think about streaming livestock shows, I, I've seen shows where they have a judge and they have people still in person, but they also stream it maybe for folks at home who can't get there and watch it. How, does, yeah. how do things change when the entire show is streamed completely online? In March, this didn't even exist. <laughs> it was just a, a thought, truthfully, and Grant Davis, and um, who's another owner of Walton Webcasting, and my husband's head, and 
So when it kind of came about, we weren't 100% sure how it would all happen. But basically, we have some of the most talented kids in our industry. And we basically just challenged them with the task of um, getting their cell phones out and um, videoing their animals to the best of their potential as if whoever the camera operator is the judge. And um, so we had them send in a bunch of our videos. We um, have a great IT guy um, that developed a form for us. And so the kids send in a form, upload it. And um, the very first show that we thought potentially we would have about 200 head, we had about 1,100 head. And so we had to hire a couple extra um, local gals to come in and process through all the videos, make sure that everything was correct. And um, it's, it's a whole process that nobody even knew what we were getting into. But the one thing about it is we have the best production team uh, at Walton Webcasting. And these guys have, there is no challenge that they can't face. And so we've been able to split them up in classes. And the, every judge that we have had in the ring, um, and that's what we're calling it in the ring, uh, they came in and it takes them two or three classes to get adjusted. And then after that, they're like, this is seriously no different than being at a hog show because they see every angle of every animal. Um, and they get to grab a microphone and break them down and describe them. And so it's been one of those things that we were just blessed with a platform that already worked. So, Lindsay, from the, I'm going to call it, audience perspective, is there anything for me to log on and watch during these virtual swine shows? Or is it just all the videos go to the judges of that respective class, they watch, and then they send it back out to the participants? Yeah, no, everything we do is live. And so as the shows are happening, like we'll have a show... um, Uh, We have a show every weekend, actually. So we have a show starting Friday at 8 a.m. this week and next week. And you can watch that live on waltonwebcasting.com. And so as things are happening, as the judge is seeing your animal for the first time, you're watching the judge view your animal. And as he's commenting um, on your animal, you're getting that um, upfront face-to-face. And so you can go back if you go to waltonwebcasting.com and click archives. You can go back in the archives and re-watch everything that we have done. Um, but as things are happening, you can watch them live. And Lindsay, I know that virtual auctions aren't really a new idea, but with the introduction of virtual livestock shows and having to change due to COVID-19 rules, have you seen any changes in the way that you put out these auctions or an influx in the amount of auctions that you guys are doing? Mm-hmm. So we we don't actually on Walton Webcasting have a sale platform, but what we do is we parade the videos and then those videos will go directly to the buyer's choice of auction platforms. Like um, we have an auction with um, the National Swine Registry and uh, certified, certified Pedigree Swine. And so we're going to parade all of the videos out um, for the industry to see. And then they are for sale just like they normally would be on an online platform at showpig.com. And so lots of forms out there. And we are with 
all of them. And so we've just seen a few more people using a lot of times on the auction platforms, we go by picture basis only. And so one of the big benefits that we're uniting together and providing a video and a picture platform um, to get audience just a bigger view. So like for the CPS and NSR's uh, virtual board shows, uh, we have commentary come in. And that's another benefit thing that we provide as these shows are live. Not only do we have judges on them, but we have commentators who are describing the animals, the, giving pedigrees and information as they go out. And so we're just providing the buyer with more information than they've ever been handed. I think it's going to be interesting to see how things progress, which leads me to kind of my last question before I let Mike ask his. But when you look at livestock shows, we're having to change quite a bit or changing how we're doing them. Do you think that this trend will continue post-COVID when things start to open up maybe next summer or next show season? Yeah, I think this is, you know, it's been an interesting thing because I think we've seen some opportunities of growth in our industry. And we've had quite a few industry leaders come in and say, you know, this is a future. This isn't... We want live shows to happen. We want live sales to happen. Any agriculturalist, you know, we want to be there and see things in person. But we at least have an outlet now. Um, I Where I see this platform really growing is in those winter months, specifically in the Midwest, where it is a little more challenging to get out and go tra- travel and see what all the livestock is out there. Um, one benefit of all of even through the sale platform and in the cyber stock shows is we're uniting people from California to Delaware, to New York, to Arizona, um, all in one platform. That's really challenging to do in a live setting. When we look at livestock shows, I used to show, uh, you know, hogs as a, as a young person. You know, one of the big challenges is you got to have a trailer, you got to have a truck, you got to have fuel to get to wherever the jackpot is. All of these extra costs add up. And now you can compete, like you say, nationwide. But I am curious as to what do the costs run to compete in a, uh, an online stock show? Yeah, so the price is very similar to what a normal jackpot show would be. So it's uh, $35 a head per entry. And so at most uh, jackpot shows that we go to, it's anywhere from uh, $25 to $35 for entry. So you're really um, saving <laughs> quite a bit of money. And that's one of the benefits of it. You know, like you said, no hotel, no gas, no extra food, um, just maybe a a little bit of stress in trying to get the right video made. But other than that, it's, um, it's pretty affordable. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much for giving us an inside look on what Walton is doing to kind of keep up with the times right now. And for our listeners, is there any Facebook and Twitter accounts that they can follow to keep up with these online shows? Yes. Yep. You can find us on all our, we're on um, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that. You can just find us at Walton Webcasting or uh, Walton Web and Walton Webcasting on Facebook is where you can find us. And then as always, you can go to our website at waltonwebcasting.com. And so we have enjoyed, uh, or I have enjoyed kind of chit-chatting with you guys and any questions anybody has, uh, we, we love what we do. And our big mission is agricultural education. And um, so that's why we love to webcast things out so kids can learn and grow um, and feel more connected in our industry. 
Well, interesting. I think, thanks again to Lindsay there, but interesting times we're, we're going to be in here. I'm glad she could put that in perspective for us. I'm actually eager to watch a livestock show that's going to be streamed sometime this summer. And I'm sure, I'm sure one of them will be. So Walton Webcasting is how you can check out streaming services if you have questions about how they work or how they look. So hopefully a lot of state fairs and county fairs will take advantage of doing something like this so that those kiddos that have been working really hard on their projects will get to show off their livestock. I know we all three actually showed livestock. So teaches you a lot as a young young kid in ag. It certainly does. And I, you know, the idea that you can show a hog for $32 is pretty incredible, you know, compared to Mm -hmm. what participation in that show industry usually costs. Uh, This could be a great way to broaden agriculture's reach for people with, uh, you know, without the capital, just be able to spend a whole weekend at a jackpot out of state and drop money on hotels and gas and everything. So now we can kind of broaden the fold, and uh, that would be a great thing for ag. Well, another great thing for ag is the Ag News Daily podcast. We like to think so anyway. You can get caught up on past episodes by going to our website at agnewsdaily.com or interact with us on social media, particularly if you are of the legal mindset and help walk us through this uh, this bare, you know, dicamba decision. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Find us at Ag News Daily. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.